Welcome to Podcast. This is the podcast where I pressure my friends and acquaintances into talking about politics. It's also the podcast where I try to relieve the pressure that's mounting in my life as I get increasingly stressed out by the insanity that is our political situation. Where truth is no longer true, facts are alternative, and war is and you know, you get the picture. Anyway, I am so happy today to have gotten to speak with Fred Cassidy. Fred is an old friend of mine. He's a thinker. He's a wise soul. And we talked about music and politics and life. He also works as a producer in television. He's a filmmaker. He's a really talented person, really talented singer. He also performs as a singer, songwriter, piano player. He's just an all-around artiste. And he also happens to be French and American like me. So we have that in common. We kind of are able to see the world from two perspectives. You know, I call it being a double agent. Growing up with two cultures, being able to look at the stupidity and awesomeness of both French and American culture, never quite fitting in 100% with either one, but being able to appreciate both and being able to be realistically critical of both, which I think is a valuable place to be because, in my opinion, blind nationalism to any country doesn't do anyone any good. We all need to be a little bit critical. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Fred Cassidy. We did it at his home in Los Angeles. You hear a little tinkling fountain in the background that comes in to the soundscape every now and then. I think it's actually kind of appropriate considering Fred has this sort of zen vibe about him. So enjoy this conversation, and I hope it relieves the pressure. Well, first of all, Tom, I know you took piano lessons when you were 10 or earlier, 8, 6, 10, and learn how to play piano. When did you... um, Launch yourself into writing songs, writing a song. Do you remember your first song? If I go back to the very first connection with the piano, I, I was probably six or seven years old, and my parents had an upright, and nobody played piano in the house. And I would, like other kids, just kind of pound the keys with my fists. And I, and I had promised myself I wanted to learn the, the language that would make the piano sound good. So I always looked at the piano like an enigma and it was just there sitting like a piece of furniture and I wanted to make it live like an instrument. Interesting. And you, you thought of it as a language. You knew like this is a, this is a code I have to crack kind of thing. Well, cause I, you know, as a kid, you like, you put your fingers on the notes and it sounds like crap. <laughs> it right. sounds like noise. And I thought, okay, I want to make it sound like music. And I didn't know how. So maybe a couple of years later, I asked to take piano lessons and started with the basics, ABC. And that was what age? That was around 10? Around 10 years, 10 years old, yeah. What, at what point did you ever think, I could write a song? or I, could... I started getting frustrated like when I was about 13 because I was playing classical music, which I liked. But I... When there was a nice chord change, like if you go from like a C major to like an E7, that's a really nice change. And I wanted to, I was asking the teachers like, what are the chords behind the classical pieces? Mm -hmm. So I'm playing like a minuet in E minor, but it's going from E minor to what? Mm -hmm. And 
what are the core changes? Because I wanted to see why I liked certain things. And uh, my teacher was resistant to that. And she's like, no, 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 just play the notes. And I'm like, well, aren't they chords? And she's That's like, okay. so interesting to me as a guitar player who never, I never took piano lessons. I just started with chords were always the building blocks of everything. But yeah, when you look at piano, at classical players, I often wonder, like the chords, chords are not really a thing you learn when you're learning classical necessarily, mm -hmm. especially if you're playing a monophonic instrument, right? Mm -hmm. You're just one note of the chord, but pianos play chords, but right. anyway, yeah. So you'll, you know, like the key usually that you're playing in and that's, you just learn the notes and that sounds good. And these amazing composers, their music has been living on for centuries. Uh, but I kind of wanted to look behind the sheet music and understand the the structure of it, and so then uh, Beethoven behind the music behind the music. <laughs> a twelve part series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so I started just learning the chords. Them just starting again, mm. like relearning music, like the chords, mm -hmm. and then trying to bridge the classical influence, and then just the the. I don't know, more of the tonic core, you know, just the um, uh, the mathematical part of it, you know. Did you yeah. start um, trying to figure out contemporary songs or the songs that you like? Yeah, like pop songs. Yeah, like You what Light Up some... My Life by yeah. Debbie Boone. Nice. <laughs> I did have That was the first one? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was the gateway drug. Yeah. Um, now, I have to say, I learned how to play pop music with Elton John. Mm -hmm and the greatest hits uh, sheet music album and learned them all. And then that's when I learned to sing at, and accompany myself because mm -hmm. I loved all these songs and I knew them well. Mm -hmm. I would listen to the record and then go to the piano and play. So Elton John did kind of, well, he has a special place in my heart, mm -hmm. <clears throat> especially all the early 70s albums. Yeah, And uh, I did try to emulate the piano man kind of vibe is to accompany yourself you know and so do you remember the first time you said i i could do this i could write some lyrics and sing them do you... I, I was a teenager and yeah. then so i think all of these leaps always came from a frustration it's like i want to know more and so <clears throat> i think after playing other people's sheet music and I just would get a little frustrated and want to write my own stuff. So I wrote some pretty crappy songs. <laughs> Do you remember any of them? Can you give me a title? Anything? There is one called The City of the Sea. Oh. And it's about this underworld of uh, deep under the ocean. And there's a lot of words in the song. And Did it get kinda... picked up by Disney? <laughs> I think I heard it. Yeah, they made a whole musical out of yeah, it. Yeah, cool. It's not bad. Uh, yeah, that was pretty bad, but I was into it, and I, I would close my eyes and sing and play piano. It's kind of a escape, pretty much, because from my, you know, teenage years that I wasn't so happy in. Mm. Piano has always been, and, and music has always been a way to escape. Yeah. Uh, I think there's no faster way to change my mindset right. than sitting down and even playing three minutes of music. If I'm stressed or 
something going on emotionally or in my brain, if I sit down and play, close my eyes and play, it kind of restructures the neurons and the flow. And the, so I do feel like it's a practice. Some people meditate or go walk around the block or walk their dog, pick up the poop. Um, and then that's very cleansing. Yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, it's physical too. Like it's a muscle memory happens and then all of a sudden you're, you're in this place that for me, it's like, if I pick up a guitar, it's like my security blanket. Yeah. And I'm fine. It's yeah. like on your, you're hugging. It's giving you a hug or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's tactile. Yeah. yeah it's touch. Vibrations. Yeah. Yeah. I hate you 
Let's get into the song you just played. It's called Haters. Yes. Haters. 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 So, yeah. an amazing song with so much going on in it. Um, why don't you tell me just a little bit about it? Well, I um, have written a bunch of songs that I sing on the piano. And a lot of them have to do with love or exploration of love or missing love. And I love those songs too and there's a whole tradition in pop music to, to write about love songs um, but I wanted a song where I could sing I hate you I hate you I hate you so much yeah. I wanted to be able to frame that in a way that made sense to me because there's something really satisfying yeah. about saying of channeling those those emotions so yeah. I was very angry at the politics in America and uh, and I felt, wow, okay, I can, I can kind of write, flip it over and make it a hate song mm -hmm. as the flip side of a love song. Yeah. But the really interesting thing about it is it's, it sounds like a love song. It's really, uh, beautiful and positive and melodic, like emotionally, the emotional kind of melody of it. That's that's kind of a flip, but also to put yourself inside the psyche of he who cannot be named. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I think we're all on a on this kind of spectrum, and given the right circumstances, we can be harsh and we can be have really harsh opinions about others, and we're not immune to feeling hate about certain things or even certain people. And um, I, I felt like I, I wanted to kind of appropriate that and say, I'm a hater and I hate this and I hate that because that's kind of the currency of what's going on what we hear around the political discourse is, is pointing fingers and blaming and, and hate. And so I wanted to see how it felt to say it and to sing it. But also to know that this hate and the love are always, in a way, like the two sides of a coin and, and all you have to do is flip it and there's love or lack of love that goes hand in hand with it. I would say um, it's compassion in the sense that you're, you're, you're being compassionate for this character um, in the sense that you're feeling the passion of that person and, that, and hate is a passion, is one of the most passionate emotions so there's like it's like a compassionate song mm -hmm. in both senses you know what I mean you're you're being compassionate about this person that is um trying to flush our world down the toilet he should not be named you <laughs> should not be named you know I think there's no matter who you are or what you do that may be really destructive there's still a basic humanity that maybe some people don't even want to see this person as a human being or, you know, having any kind of emotion or, you know, validity as a human. But I think we all are no matter what. And if we discount that, then we cross the line too. So in a way, having compassion for people who injure us or it's kind of do harm is yeah. kind of a Buddhist yeah. thought. And it's maybe it's it's hard to do, and it's a practice because some days you just can't get there. 
Beyond that, I would think I would say though that song is like a really astute psychological analysis of a really damaged, fucked up person and what's motivating him. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Like it's yeah. just like looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, really, just daddy didn't love me, and so now I'm gonna take it out on all the rest of you. That's what I yeah got from it. You know. Or well, I think... try to get the love of these other people who might love me, no matter how deplorable they are. <laughs> I hate to use that word, but... Yeah. You know. Well, I do... Th- I see examples around me. Those who hurt the most are really hurting inside yeah. as well. So, I don't know. If you can at least have compassion for that aspect, then you can maybe tolerate them as a human being. <laughs> um or understand at least what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what this song, in a way, it's, I kind of wrote it like a Sesame Street, like Joe Raposo style. Yeah. It's got a bounce and fun. Is that and, like, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just a Bill and I'm on Capitol Hill. No, that's not Sesame no, Street. No, it's like, you know, the sunny day. Oh yeah. Taking the yeah. clouds away. That, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that kind of, uh, almost like a child-like song. Yeah. Um, and um, the chorus is really, you know, we long to be loved. Yeah. Even like the haters really at the core of it, core, core, just want love and approval and, yeah. and comfort. But they'll burn, they'll burn the house down again. Yeah. And it's a, an expression of a deep um, pain, that negative yearning for love. I do feel like we are, as an American family, I do see America, in my consciousness, see it as a big family where there's a patriarch and there's always been a patriarch. All the presidents have been men. Mm-hmm. And we see our father figure in, in the president. And now we are like traumatized children Absolutely. in this hyper emotionally violent family mm-hmm. where it's so unpredictable and every morning is like a suspense of like what the fuck's oh, what's daddy gonna do today what's no daddy? you can say fuck <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck's the gonna happen today yeah and you're like you're always on guard and like yeah. stressed yeah and I think we are like abused children in a way yeah as, as Americans at least those who believe that there's an abuse of power I mean and, there's a president who's yeah admitted to being abusive to women many many times or at least one time and has yeah. and many women have come forward i mean the abuse is real yeah on a on a real literal level but also on the level that you're talking about yeah, right. as kids yeah. right so we're coping so we have different coping mechanisms some yeah. are in denial some are it's almost like stockholm syndrome they're like supporting this guy yeah. You know, oh, totally. If you are, uh, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but if you are uh, a believer uh-huh. and you support this man, just even on the basis of his relationship with other humans and women and his own family, and I think there's, it's on. How do you reckon? I know. I don't get it. It's really you, hard to understand, and it's um, some. A lot of people are are holding their nose and. Uh, and they're happy about a lot of the policy that's being passed, and they think it's it, it, they they agree with it, and so they they're willing to um, to forgive huge moral character failings and 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 
corruption, although I don't think they see it as corruption, maybe. No, just just a hopeful reminder that when I talk to my father, who is wise and has lived through other periods of uncertainty in America, um, like the late 60s, uh, what if you were in your 20s in the late 60s, you had a feeling that... Things were falling apart. Fall, things are falling yeah. apart. You know, Kennedy was shot, and then Martin Luther King was yeah. assassinated, and then Robert Kennedy, and then there's the Nixon thing. You had a feeling that the America... Was the, coming apart at the scene. The experiment of what it was. Yeah. However, then there was, you know, there's... I do believe in the American experiment, and I do believe that the power of the people is still there and that you have to be hopeful in the rebirth but it had, takes action and it takes I mean people are engaged in the Absolutely. 60s and the 70s and they're getting that way again and um, there, there is sort of a hope in that but we're in a, we're in, on a major stress test for the the American experiment once again. It's I being would call stressed. it peer pressure. Peer pressure. <laughs> pressure. That's exactly right. It's being peer pressure. Peer pressure podcast is brought to you by electricity. Electricity is electric. If you touch it, you'll get zapped. Use it wisely. Electricity. What is patriotism, and do you do you do you consider yourself patriotic? Hmm. I do identify as an American, but because I was born in France. Right. And you're of both cultures. Kind of like you. Like me, exactly. Yeah. We're hybrids. Yeah. And so I do feel that has been an advantage to look at uh, American culture with a little bit of a perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, and also just traveling back and forth and mm-hmm. seeing that other people live well. Um, it's not. Like we're number one and mm-hmm. everyone else is crap. Yeah. Is that, hey, in Europe, they figured a few things out. Yeah. They know how to educate people for free. Took a lot of fighting and figuring yeah. it out and re... Yeah, exactly. Healthcare yeah. is checked that... You know, they figured a certain amount of things socially. Yeah. Um, and there's price to pay. But I think collectively people have um, a higher standard of living. So I think, you know, when you only see what you see in America which is great too and there's great opportunities um, but there's an illusion that everything else sucks and that's not true Uh, but I do identify as an American I I do think you have the freedom to reinvent yourself Mm -hmm. at any turn in your life you are not judged by necessarily by your education you can be an entrepreneur or you can I love the fact, and this doesn't happen in other countries, when I ask other people from around the world, when you're born in America, you have a social security number, Mm -hmm. and you can DOB, you can do uh, your own business. You are in a business, by birth. In America? Yeah. Really? Doing business as DBA. DBA, I'm sorry. DBA. See, yeah, sorry, forgive me. So DBA, anybody with a social security number is, in a way, it. Their own business. Because America is one big business. It's one and big... And we're all yeah. part of the corporation the minute we're born. So if you're born <laughs> into the American system and or you acquire a social security number, you yourself are a little business. Yeah. And I love that idea that you, uh, you're the starting point for any enterprise, be it creative or 
you know, any, any business that you choose to follow or develop or something. And I, I don't, that concept doesn't, doesn't exist. Like in France, for example, where you're either an employee or you're a boss huh. and there's the, that's the entrepreneurs have a harder time. Oh, I know it's, it's very, very really hard, hard for freelancers yeah. and frustrates they me. pay a very big price yeah. for that kind of freedom. And that's not rewarded well. And maybe that's it, why people in America, some, a large portion of the population is so concerned with babies being born because they just want more little businessmen to be born <laughs> yes. into the American business. So they just really don't want anyone to be aborted because we need more businessmen. Just keep I don't those know. little factories, children, child factories. Exactly. Going. Oh, I, I want to go back to, to like your musical trajectory. Um, was there a point, has there been a song, a singer or a song or a musician who seemed political to you that engaged you or made you think about politics in any way at some point? I think the artist that has touched me the most, and I do feel like he's profoundly political, but maybe not perceived as such, is just like David Bowie. Oh, totally. And yeah. just for his gender bending and his fluidity in terms of sexuality and performance and he's a deep true artist who Absolutely. has a timeless quality to it like i think he'll be relevant in a hundred years from now Absolutely. and his music will still sound fresh and provocative and and i i do i don't know i I think with our music idols, there's some, there's love somehow. I, I just loved him. I, I love the freedom that he had in his music mm -hmm. and that just the worlds that he created. And mm -hmm. they, I would just put my Walkman on. <laughs> this dates me. Yeah. But pop the tape in there and I would walk. And sometimes I would just, as I was walking, I just close my eyes and like enter the world. Mm. I just love uh, David Bowie yeah. and all the, the shades and all the, the different uh, colors and forms that he he took on, and the the courage he yeah. had to just be himself in any form, I think, um, gave people a lot of um, courage to be themselves or yeah. to yeah. Just he was a freak. Yeah, and now this is a long time ago. This he started in the seventies, right? Or yeah, sixty before? late sixties, late sixties. Yeah, this is this wasn't current. Like today, right. there's a lot of gender fluidity right. and and playing with images or you know from drag to uh, just this you know simple thing of like putting eyeshadow on sure. or like yeah. as some kind of makeup but he was he was doing it as a totally pioneer. ahead of his time yeah yeah, yeah. and i and for me that was because i it was just a personal thing and i think i struggled with my own identity and sexuality mm -hmm that I felt the freedom that he had was radical mm. and the his politics were it wasn't just the British singer he was like this human being that mm -hmm. was from another planet from another planet <laughs> yeah. he was he he transcended the, the model of like yeah. this earthly earthly man yeah human creature yeah yeah which i i love that for me i i yeah i do i think he maybe inspired me the most yeah. completely 
I completely understand and second that. So knowing that things are not the way we want them to be and we're in a serious crisis, do you have, uh, are you motivated to try to change things and, and how? Yes, I, I struggle with that because of a practicality mm-hmm. issue and I don't believe in social media as a proactive form of social change because I think it's just the venting and um, I'm not sure how effective that is at all. I, I should probably do more of like boots on the ground stuff mm-hmm. and I have gone to phone banks and mm-hmm. made calls and stuff like that. I also try to give money to candidates that I feel are uh, worthy of changing, flipping seats in mm-hmm. the house and things like that. Um, I feel like I should do more. <laughs> I mean, it's on the ground and sometimes just sending 30 bucks to somebody is like what I can do in a, in a day, you know. Um, do you vote? Yeah, I do vote. Yeah. And you I encourage vote. other people. I, I'm frustrated as well by the voting process, the electoral college. There, it gives you the sense that when you're voting like on a national election, that for a president, president doesn't matter. Uh, my vote is just diluted into soup, you know, into yeah. uh, and that if shit I, soup, why is someone <laughs> in in Ohio have a bigger yeah. influence on the outcome than mine? I, I don't understand. It doesn't. It's antiquated and it's and it's, it's not democratic. It's you know. I believe in one person one vote. Yeah. Then you ca- there's about the it's like counting beans. Yeah. It's like you count one. For, you know the votes for one person the other and then you you see who gets more votes like we were talking about the French system where you yeah. literally have a piece of paper it goes into an envelope and yeah. then there's people there are people who count every single piece of paper there's no it's not mystery. voting machines yeah it's not uh, it's not like an ATM or there's it's not mysterious it's it's analog and I don't know in France I would is it a, um, a day off is it a holiday for vote like so the election so you vote on a weekend on a weekend yeah. Which is a much better start. I believe it's either... I can't remember. I think it's on either Saturday or Sunday. Right. Which makes it so much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so you vote on a weekend. Yeah. Then you go into a booth and you you have two pieces of the paper. Yeah. And then your two candidates. And then you put your chosen candidate in a little envelope and it goes into the giant urn. And at the end, there's a whole bunch of people looking over your shoulder. Yeah. And they count out things and they tally they tally the results. It's right. about as analog and as verifiable right. as any system can be. Right, because all those pieces of paper are sitting there. Yeah. If anyone needs to recount, they're sitting there, yeah. You can just count, them. yeah. Okay, we so we're dis- talking... Sorry, we were talking about the dysfunctional family of America. Yeah. Just my thought about that is that unlike a family where you're stuck with your father or your mother or whoever is your guardian. I do feel like there's there's a term to this. There's, there will be an end to this. It feels interminable. And, uh, um, but at some point, these people won't be here. Anymore. Oh, man, ICE is here. They're ICE here. Is... They found us. They're rounding up French, the French people. They're rounding up the French. The foreign-born. The freedom 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 They're get, coming for us. Here, you are not American, actually. Yeah. Right. Not right. if you're 
a frog eating. You're a socialist. Socialist. Is that a bad word? Socialism. Sure. Um, yeah, of course. People have no idea what it means, but the but there's so many. Now you're interviewing me, but that's okay. Yeah. There's there's so there's institutions in America that are revered that are completely socialist. Firemen, police, you know, um, school teachers. Yeah. Like this is all stuff that's being funded by our taxes, which is a socialist concept. You know, right. money from the whole society goes to fund the needs of the society. So yeah, that's the collective, the collective can take good. care of certain aspects right. of, of unions community. are socialists. You know, I, I, I support unions, although in their current state, they're sort of missing the function that they were set up for in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But, Mm-hmm. Anyway, I kind of i I like to just maybe consider myself a humanist, okay, on the political label, mm-hmm. and I do feel that if the people with power see everybody as a human being, then that's the starting point for whatever policies. If we're regarded as equal in terms of rights and access to certain things. As long as you're human. You don't have to be from a certain country or have a certain passport. You're just human. Yeah. You're human. and yeah. But, you know, our, our society is very uneven. People start sure. from different starting places, yeah. you know, depending on their social background, their history, their ge- geographical location. Where it's very unequal in terms of power and access to things like education and health. And I, I think if we worked... To just get people to this more just and verdant society, yes. like they just say on NPR, just and verdant, just yeah. and verdant, yes, yes, and and then we're all in this together, yeah. right, as human beings. And I do feel like I was saying before, the people in power today will be gone, eventually. You know, they're in their seventies; they're yeah. they're gonna be gone and. Laws can be changed, you know, uh, things can be reversed, tax, mm-hmm. tax laws can be changed, anything can can be reworked. Mm-hmm. But the one thing we can't ever go back on is, is, our, is our planet and what's right. going on in terms of neglect or like, right. uh, the harm that we're doing collectively to our environment. And I think all the rest pales... Because all this social thing, and it, whether you're conservative or liberal in terms of hot button things like abortion, whatever, all that is malleable. Like mm-hmm. you, you can go back and forth. You right. Can, it's not the end of the world if Roe v. Wade goes away. <laughs> right. But it's the end of the world if it's the end of the world. It's but it's the end of the world <laughs> if you know you have to move there's to the no Himalayas and there's for no like water. Yeah. Beachfront property. Right. <laughs> so if you know all the, you know, anyhow, everyone knows about the you threat know, and I feel like that's the one issue that's irreversible and we can not come back from that. Absolutely. The when you said about being a humanist, one of the and the inequalities of our system and a lot of systems, one of the expressions that drives me insane that I can't stand is when someone says, "Oh, that guy's worth so much. That guy's worth you know how much that that guy's worth? That guy's not fucking worth 70 million dollars. He's a human being." When he dies, he's worth nothing. He's dead. You know, he's worth the same as the, the person on the corner that's 
you know, hooked on opium or whatever. Everyone's worth the same. I cannot stand that expression. Oh, you know how much that guy's worth? He's not worth that. He has that much money and the access to that money in the bank or something. I just, I can't stand that expression. Nobody's worth more than anyone else. Worthiness yeah. and then value yeah. are different yeah. different concepts. Co- totally. Because value, like it can be a market value. You go up and right. down. You can be rich one day and then broke another. Yeah. Um, but your worthiness yeah. is... We're all worth the same. The second we're, you know, on the planet, like we're worth being a human being. And I don't think we're worth more than the animals either. But, you know... Right. We, so the challenge is to find in the people that we dislike who are running things the worth find the worth the human the humanity, the humanity mm-hmm. in them and that's kind of what I wanted to do in the song yeah. too is to flip it and say okay I you know uh, even those who harm people have themselves probably been harmed sure. or acting out of out of a very hurt and vulnerable place. And yeah. how do, in a way, how do how do I have similar and more benign dynamics in my life? Maybe we harm people too sure. in, in kind of these passable ways. Right. So I don't know. I don't want to give, I don't want to discount anything right. and, and pass over anything, but that's a challenge. Why not? Sure. Yeah. It's compassion for the, the all the citizens of our insanely divided country right now that need mm-hmm. to see each other as humans. It's like in our justice system is like if you commit a crime and you're you're locked away for, like you cease do you cease to be human? Right. Are you just like kept I mean are You do in America you it depends on who's defining it. In other countries they call you a client like in Sweden and Norway and once you go into the system, you're a client of the correctional system, meaning mm-hmm. we have a we have a responsibility to rehabilitate you and get you back into the system. You're a right. client. You're not a piece of shit that we're now you know you you've been thrown into the trash heap of society. Do you lose your humanity in America right. when you enter the correctional system? Right. And or are you just in a way another form of profit making? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's a modern form of slavery where correctional it's yeah. not about rehabilitation it's about funneling channeling this human life into a different system it's a super that, cheap labor yeah it is a lot of people are working you know oh yeah making stuff yeah, yeah. getting paid you know a dollar a day or whatever yeah it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy um wow we're really covering all the all I the know, bases so, but yeah. i have a, a little sneak sneaky one to throw in there um we're talking about music and politics, so I would say the most political song in our in our system right now is the national anthem. It's a politically sanctioned song that you know. There's all this controversy. Like people are pissed because some people people want to sing it, some people don't want to sing it. it means different things to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there could be a better national anthem, and what would it be? Could we change it and improve it in some way? <laughs> I think we we got what we got. Yeah, this is it. This is like, it. This is part of our consciousness as okay. a, as a culture. I have to say though, when I'm at a ball game or something, yeah. and I stand up and sing, yeah. I get emotional. Okay, I do feel because you want to kick some British ass. <laughs> Those red coats. Yeah, got that's that. the French side of you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like we're so diverse as a country. Right. 
there are a few unifying things and the national anthem is and that's maybe the moment like you asked before where i do feel sort of patriotism Uh is that when everyone's singing they have their hand on your heart Uh and you're singing the national anthem i do i get i get a little chill from it it's not controversial to me okay um However, when I stand back and I see how it's used by others, you know, to make a point about whatever politics, you know, that becomes a different thing. But for me personally, when I sing it at a national, at a, at a game, some kind of game, I I feel American. That's cool. I mean, if you consider the French national anthem, those those lyrics are insane. Oh, it's yeah. like a goth heavy metal song about killing, We're gonna slice slaughtering the next of your children. The, and, the gutters yeah. of the infidels' blood will run. You know, in the furrows of our fields. Yeah, it's so it's so metal. It is. <laughs> it's so heavy metal. No, it's, it's so a goth. horror film. It's a horror film. It's it's a, it's, it's, it's a gore. Wes, it's yeah. uh, Wes Craven or whatever. Yeah, totally. It's so bloody. Um, yeah. Yeah, the American one is really pale. It's pretty tame yeah. compared, yeah. I do think, though, in sports, if, you know, if people have a, something to say or I support the taking the knee. Yeah. Because it's not about the flag and it's not about disrespecting it. It's about, it's about pointing or shining the light on a, a, some kind of injustice and that that's the moment... That matters. The last line of the national anthem, yeah. oh say, is a question. Yeah. Oh say, does that star spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? Question mark. Question mark. It's a question. Yeah. Does it right now? Not so much. Yeah. You know, not so much over the land of the free and the home of the brave for everybody. Not so much. It, for some, it's a yes. question. For, <laughs> yeah. for some, yes, and for many, no. Yeah. I think, I think some people are doing pretty well. Yeah. And in America and doing well in a material way and have an easy life sure. and with uh, affluence and yeah. and then there's a lot of people who aren't and, and then there's people who are really lucky and have done great and they're, they're sports figures and they're looked up to by a lot of people and they're using that power to question and I think that's fantastic you know well that's very Good for specific them. about, about yeah. violence and about yeah. about you know people being murdered you know with impunity sure and so that i i understand that I understand the desire that. or that there's a desire to protest that you respectfully protest it at a sporting event that's not a national event it's a it's being sponsored by giant corporations mm-hmm. they're the ones who are paying the bills it's not you know the football players aren't working for the US government they're not it's not a government. It's not a national event. It's not a. It's not a police rally. It's not a. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a sporting event. But that I'm skeptical. To be in a country, yeah. I don't know. That's my opinion. I'm skeptical about corporations then turning around and appropriating these people, like the Nike thing. I. But they should be doing. They it's should be standing. It's a little bit suspicious. Then it's like oh, if what, Nike appropriating Kaepernick. And, yeah, if you want to be, you want to protest something, come and buy our shoes. Then that that gets a little bit messy to me. It in does my head. get a little bit messy. The morality, but it's a good it. way for right wing people who are pissed off. They can boycott Nike now, and then they can learn about the power of boycott. Go for it. If you want to do that, cool. I think that's cool. If you are pissed 
about what Nike's doing, don't buy Nike stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe Nike's stock will fall. I don't know. Maybe it already has. That's people. Americans should do that more. I think don't buy stuff. Be pissed off. Don't vote with your dollars. You know, know? the other day I went into a brand (laughs) uh, shoe store, like a big name, uh, Nike, Nike esque kind of shoe store. And I found a pair of shoes that I liked. And I told the guy, I said, well, if you can tell me where they're made, yeah. I'll buy these shoes. And I said, where are they made? He goes, I don't know. And I said, well, you, no sale. you sell you sell these shoes. Where Who made them and where were they made? And he did not know. Yeah. And he goes, well, let me get my manager. Okay. And so he went and got the manager. And then it took a really long time <laughs> for the sure. manager to show up. And then he goes, oh, yeah, somewhere in Asia. And I'm like, Asia's a big continent. Yeah. But I think there's, that's that kind of It doesn't it say on the shoes made in China or whatever? Who knows? It doesn't say. Okay. And so they could not answer the question. Oh. So to me, it's that same thing. It's like, well, there's an image they're selling, these yeah. big corporations. Yeah. But at the root of it, like, what are we, what system are we, are supporting. we supporting with right. our dollars? Right. Because in the back end of it, somebody's making these shoes. And are they held, do they have the same rights yeah. as a sort of famous former athlete, you know? Right. You know, that's... Yeah, it's super tricky. That's and to true. me, the, the morality is not so cut and dry. It's not. It's true. But on the other hand, when I found out that Dick's Sporting Goods wasn't selling AR-15s, I, I made a trip to Dick's Sporting Goods that day to buy some stuff that I didn't need to buy some, you know, a soccer ball for my son. Because I was like, sweet, you stood up for mm-hmm. your thought, your beliefs. I'm, I'm into it. I support cool. Dick's too. Yeah, I support Dick's balls. Dick's has balls. Dicks, Dicks and balls. You Dicks just and gotta balls. Go yeah. out there and buy as much as you can. You gotta buy as much as many Dick's balls <laughs> <laughs> for the children. <laughs> I support all of that. Yes, me too. Yeah. Um, okay. It's pretty clear cut there. Yeah. <laughs> How did we get here, Pierre? <laughs> <laughs> We're always here. Um, so slippery. But I wanted. To, do you want to go into your trajectory as a musician, just like quickly, because I, I I would like to hear it. So you you have the band, the New Avengers. You're 16. So yeah, so we we started going out and playing, and we were part of like the ska mo- movement. Oh yeah, you know, here in LA, with the you wore scooters. a beret. I did wear a beret. <laughs> And in a skinny, did leather, you have a scooter? skinny leather tie. No, I, I did not have a scooter. Oh, okay. I was also not happy about where I was and you know, when yeah. I was in school and I was still living with my parents, even though I was in college. And so music was just a great escape yeah. and we would practice all the time. And um, as a privileged white Franco-American kid from the west side of L.A., mm-hmm. Um, three of our band members were African American mm-hmm. from kind of South Central, and we would just go hang out. And for me, it was uh, my first true connection with a family, a, you know, a beautiful family. There's grandma around the house, mm-hmm. and going down to have barbecues and stuff. So for me, it was the very sweet and uh, almost like a family that was formed, you know, in this band. And, yeah. Uh, and my first connection with a different part of LA that mm. I didn't really know, but I grew up with in parallel as well. So I do see that as a beautiful mind and heart opening experience and just kind of life saving because I, I really hated my life as a teenager yeah. and music. 
and I I sort of auditioned for this band and I was picked as the lead singer. So for me, wow. it was just the metaphor of like finding my voice and learning how to sing. Uh, really, it was true for me. Um, so it was great and I love performing. And so then we changed and then we became the circadian rhythm. And I remember that. Yeah. We uh, had different band members and it kind of morphed, you know, as bands kind of change and mm -hmm. morph and, you take different directions and I started writing songs for the for the band uh, but then I got into film and I think it's been a tandem ride for me mm -hmm. like between the visual arts and uh, music and sometimes one takes a precedent over the other uh, but I have a piano at my house I play every single day and music is still a language mm -hmm. That I feel. Let's go back a second though. What about that band with uh, Pinky? Oh, Pinky. Uh, yes. What was it called? So we were called Guadalupe. Yes, Guadalupe. Yeah, so in the 90s, I was in a kind of a trip hop yeah. uh, band that was formed by Gabe Roland. And, uh, and Pinky Villandry was the singer, and she's this beautiful kind of elfin kind of Yorkie. Who wore fur bikinis. Fur bikinis. Amazing. I'll never and these forget. giant kind of like. Las Vegas makeup with diamonds stuck on her face and giant eyelashes and beautiful angelic voice. And we were kind of trip poppy and we had a great journey as a band for like three years. Mm -hmm. And we toured a lot and we opened for James Brown, which is one of the highlights of my life to so watch cool. James Brown rehearse with his band oh my God. before the show. It was yeah. awesome. Wow. With two drummers and it was just amazing. Wow. Uh, so that was a great journey and you know what it's when you start being in bands as you know it's these are little families and they have their dysfunctional <laughs> fights and so learning how to work in a band situation it's uh, very complex really really complex because you have like creative ownership issues and so it's a learning experience but we toured we toured a lot and we played a lot and which was great we got a lot of stage time um and we toured with fiona apple which was a highlight mm. for maybe 20 shows there's some beautiful venues so that was great so then so sort of to wrap up so what are you uh what are you up to now is there i mean i know you you work in film and television a lot and but musically what's what what are your well, projects? I do. I kind of continue to play uh, piano and in a band with the Secret City Project, which is a New York-based um, art church, you know, so to speak. It's a. Uh, it's like this art happening. It happens once a month in New York, the Secret City, and then they come quarterly to LA. So we there's a lot of music. I co-direct the choir and do arrangements. Then. There's nothing like that feeling of like being at the piano and rehearsing a choir of like 20 voices just singing at you. It's just, I love it. How um, can people find out about The Secret City? The Secret City, I believe, is thesecretcity.org. Okay, thesecretcity.org. Yeah. Okay. Great. The uh, the overlord of that organization is Chris Wells. Chris Wells, who's yeah. a great artist and friend, and we've yeah. done a lot of music projects together. We did Christy and the No-Nos, yeah. which we, we toured in L.A., and we, we I produced an album for that um, music project. And I've 
really enjoyed doing music for theater and for plays and worked with the Actors Gang Theater here, the Tim Robbins Company. And uh, I do love that crossover from band performing, theater performing, uh, working with choirs, writing singer-songwriter kind of music. To me, it's all different aspects of the same storytelling through song. Yeah. That's great. Um, so I have a last question. In this fucking shit show that we're in right now in America, what is the best outcome and the worst outcome that could happen? I think the best outcome will be if people get out and change things through voting. I really think that's our last resort. Yeah. It really is. It's up to, I think in November is big turning point. Mm -hmm. People are, are still complacent at this point in the game. I think that would be very troubling. Mm -hmm. I do have optimism about that. Um, so that I think that the best outcome is for people to realize they have a stake in their own future and this really kind of read up <laughs> yeah. uh, the the truth of the matter. The worst outcome would be to just let things go and not participate. I think if you if we just check out, then we submit to this kind of corporate run universe. That is, that's the tendency right now. Mm -hmm. It's this concentration of power mm -hmm. where it isn't power of the people anymore. So I think that would be the worst outcome is to give up. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope for the best. Let's hope for the best. Cool. All right. Thanks, Fred. All right, peer pressure. <laughs> Sweet. Thank I'm you very much. Relaxed. That was great. You, you, you went through the, the pressure shot. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Pierre Pressure Podcast. That was my conversation with Fred Cassidy. My guest on episode three will be Michael Rosas. You can go to pierredegayon.com to find out more about the podcast or to find out about my other musical projects or to contact Pierre Pressure Podcast. Representatives are standing by to receive your comments. And thanks again for listening. À la prochaine. 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 prochaine.